Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Today is August 26, 2020, and we're back with you again, Larry Gassman, along with John Gassman and Jeff Bishop. And we have an interesting and, I think, entertaining couple of hours for you tonight. Hope that you'll stay with us. Eventually, we will ask you to raise your hands and ask questions. We're going to talk about assistive technology and the people surrounding it, but there's a slightly different little caveat that we'll introduce having to do with publications of books and how and if they are accessible. We'll talk about that, but we're also going to be plugging the fact that our two guests tonight have both written books. Um, momentarily, we'll be talking with David Kingsbury and later on, Michael Fair and uh, Jeff and John. Hi, glad to have you with us. Hello there. I was going to mention, for those of you listening to ACB Radio, if you raise your hand and are not in the Zoom room, it could be up there for a long time. and we'll No one's going to pay attention to no your hand. No one will pay attention so you, to your hand. That's right. You have to be in the Zoom room. That's exactly right. And there are several already here. And we're looking forward to having you with us eventually when that time comes. Um, David is an assistive technology uh, trainer at the Carroll Center in Massachusetts and has written two books. Um, the first one having to do with Microsoft and um, also from a, from a JAWS and or NVDA standpoint, he talks about how to use and get around uh, Word, etc. And this time uh, he's written another book about when one browser isn't enough. And as I said the other night when we had him on uh, Tech Talk, which you will hear next week on ACB Radio, there are a plethora of choices with regard to browsers that you can use. And he's here to talk about a little bit about that. We're gonna talk about publishing. So a lot of things to get to, but David, first of all, welcome to Main Menu. Thank you for having me, Larry, it's, it's a pleasure. Yeah, welcome, David, and uh, it's, it's a pleasure. I've enjoyed reading your books and it's uh, really been, been uh, rather fascinating. Um, why did you just, uh, decide to actually get into writing books in, you know, about accessibility and you know, in this space? Well, I've, I've, for a long time, I've enjoyed writing, uh, you know, just writing in general, you know, fiction and stuff like that. And I've been a trainer at the Carroll Center, uh, well, full time for five years, but a few years before that. So um, you sort of put two and two together, the enjoying writing and being a uh, an instructor. And I decided to take a a stab at doing a little bit of writing. Um, I went to the Carroll Center first as a trainee in uh, independent living as well as in technology. And my um, what I was most comfortable with in terms of learning 
um, was making little audio files for myself, you know, with a um, like a Victor Stream or something like that. And I think I was fairly uh, diligent as a trainer in putting together lots of audio files for my trainees. And um, I think they appreciate appreciated those and appreciate them. Um, but I also got the sense that some people really prefer learning uh, through text rather than uh, recordings. And I can understand that. So um, um, I thought uh, that one, for the people I'm training, I'd like to maybe uh, write a little bit. And then also, you know, just the challenge of doing it. And then also there were some questions that I wanted to sort out in my own mind and putting it down on paper and writing it is certainly a good way to do that. And if you can make uh, uh, books out of all of that stuff, uh, so much the better. What for you was the most difficult part about writing this particular book? Or the, was there a difficulty? Uh, the web browsing book? Uh-huh. Um, I think the most, I think two things are difficult. One, I had to learn a lot of new stuff, okay? And of course, that's that's challenging and fun, but it can also be a little bit difficult. And then a second thing was just figuring out uh, when to stop writing, because talking about uh, browsing the web with four uh web browsers and three screen readers and all the gazillions of things that you can do um, on the web. Um, just figuring out when to stop, you know, what, what to include. I mean, some things are pretty obvious you need to include, but sort of when you stop was, was a pretty big challenge for this book. A little, uh, a bit more so than for the word book. Uh, Cause you know, when you're talking about formatting word documents, it's more of a finite, um, set of issues there but you know the world wide web is just what it says it's it's worldwide it's just well it, in this open. case how did you know when enough was enough in this particular case um when i probably hit around 100 pages <laughs> like uh, but you know I, I tried to you know put down what i thought were sort of the most you know useful types of things um that uh one needs to do. And then there were a few things that I would have liked to include, um, but I just could not get those things to happen consistently. You know how, you know, you can power through certain things when you're on the web, but powering through it and actually writing it down so it's consistent and predictable is tough. You know, one thing I grappled with was like syncing, you know, syncing your devices. And maybe it's my own intellectual limitations, but I could not get, I could get so that I could sync things, but I could not get it to do it consistently enough so that I felt I could write it down. So um, there were a few things like that that I would have liked to include, but I did not feel confident enough that I would have been able to write it down correctly. Did you find that there were that many differences between the browsers as you went along? Um, no, and that, you know, one of the messages of the books book is that um, if you want to, you know, one, uh, if you want to simply use one browser versus multiple browsers, um, the learning curve once one you know once you are comfortable you know browsing the web with your screen reader you know with one browser, um, learning the other ones the the learning curve is not at all steep. You know one reason is you know if you have uh, over the years you've gotten used to using Internet Explorer. Um, and moving around with headings and links lists and things like that. Um, when you move to any of the other browsers, no, none of those webs, 
uh, none of those keystrokes change. Uh, the main place where there are differences uh, are in the menus, but you know, once you look into it a little bit, you know, it's it, it's not that hard to move through those menus. So um, it's not you know like uh, the learning curve between learning you know one one application and some other application that's totally different. Um, you know, when I've trained people, for example, who've been using Internet Explorer for years and uh, exposed them to um, um, Google Chrome, for example, um, within 15 minutes, a half hour, hour, something like that, they had already forgotten which browser they were using because the experience was just um, very similar. So uh, that's a big advantage um, in that the learning curve is not at all steep. And I think that's important for those who are now on the brink of letting go or having to let go of Internet Explorer and then deciding on on what they want to use in the near future. And I'm, I'm glad that, that Microsoft has made really both browsers, but specifically the Edge, so compatible with Internet Explorer. Uh, not that there's a huge learning curve for those of us who have already moved, but specifically for those who, who aren't quite sure yet what to expect. So, David, um, can you kind of run through some highlights of, of what's covered in each of your two books just from a you know 10,000 foot level in other words if if someone hasn't read your book and and uh, they want to find out kind of the rundown and what 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 would be uh, their expectation of the book if they were to purchase it uh, for both of those books that, that would be great okay well I'll start with the um, the web browsing book um, and you know that covers web browsing with um, uh, four, you know, four of the different browsers, and that those are Chrome, uh, my, uh, Edge, the new Edge that came out in uh, in January, uh, Firefox, and Internet Explorer, and also uh, looking at them through the use of three different screen readers, um, uh, Jaws, NVDA, and um, and Narrator. So. Uh, among the things it goes through are, you know, the basic keystrokes um, for navigating the web, um, as well as you know different ways to open um, open web pages, um, a whole bunch, uh, and also going through the menu structure because again the one the one thing that is different between the four are the menus, but but not that far different. Then once we go through the menus, just a whole bunch of the you know the various different settings you can change. And what I will do, for example, is let's say we take uh, history. Uh, you know, I'll take a topic and then I'll go step by step for each of the browsers, um, you know, how you would uh, access your history, how it's all set up. So I do that for, you know, a whole number of different things. Um, also talk about the various different ways that you can um, customize your screen reading experience uh, with JAWS and with NVDA and Narrator, because there's a lot of different ways you can change how the feedback is um, is uh, is experienced. Um, and there are also a couple of glossary. Uh, there is a list of keystrokes at the end, and then there's also a glossary of about 50 some odd uh, terms. But you know, the main the main message I try to get across is that. Uh, you know, with all the changes that have happened with the different browsers, you know, we've gone from two to four possible ones in just the last few years. Um, there are advantages to using multiple browsers. Um, and 
the the learning curve, as I say, is is not at all steep for doing that. Um, so that's that's a bit of the web browsing book. Uh, now the the word formatting book. Um, uh, basically, well, it is what it says it is. So, you know, I go through uh, the basics of formatting, you know, font formatting, paragraph formatting, bulleting, numbering, various things like that. So the basics are covered, but then uh, a number of the very powerful formatting tools uh, that exist, both within Word as well as some of the tools that the screen readers have. So uh, my favorite uh, of all for, you know, for uh, being, for helping to easily navigate um, through a Word document as well as to format it consistently is headings and styles. So that is a really important thing that I spend some, spend some time on. Um, JAWS has some great um, um, tools also like Text Analyzer, which can help you out a lot on, on punctuation type issues. And then all three of the, um, well, I don't. I don't carry cover narrator in the first book. Just uh, Jaws and NVDA, um, but they also have a number of very nice tools for um, sort of getting a more global view of what your formatting is looking like in a document as you as you go through it. So, and there's there's more than that in there too. But um, you know, that's those are sort of the main points. So, what did you use to write the book? I, I suppose you used Word then to write both of your books. Uh, yeah, I used Word, and I am a longtime JAWS user. I, I like NVDA, and I'm increasingly liking Narrator more and more. But you know, JAWS is just what I have always been most sure. uh, most comfortable with. Interesting. Yeah. So, so do you find, um, and, you know, because really the the purpose of of not only to promote your books and all that, but really we want to spend some time talking about the art of editing and the and and can a blind person successfully create, you know, a professional looking, you know, document um, without having to have, say, a sighted counterpart review it, right? Um, what, what, what kind of challenges did you find in that process? Did, were you, do you feel that you were able to do that or did you have to have someone come in behind you? And, and I'm not talking necessarily grammar and, you know, because that's, that's what, Everyone has that problem, right? Everyone has has that issue of having to have an editor come in behind them and and go in and clean stuff up. Uh, some people are are better at English than others. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm speaking of myself there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, you know, with what I tried to do, for example, you know, in in the Word document, I think that um, with you know the the powerful tools that are there. Um, you can get very close to a, a professional looking document, of course. And so that, that was sort of my goal in writing that book, uh, uh, you know, the message from the book, as well as just trying to write, get the thing written myself. I, I try to get as close to, um, you know, as close to error-free as I can possibly get. But then, you know, when we get to the end, I certainly want somebody cited uh, to look it over. And I, I thought you can get pretty close in a number of areas. Uh, a couple of areas, at least one area where there might be an exception, and this was my least favorite chapter to write in the Word document, uh, was creating tables in Word um, because they can get pretty fancy and I wasn't always entirely um, convinced that what I put together there was right. In addition, um, 
one thing I spent some time on in the in the word formatting document are the different uh, academic style guides that students have to use. There's a whole alphabet soup there, APA, MLA, Chicago Manual of Style. And when you get into the details there, and again, this was one reason I wrote the book, was um, there was no place where you could, uh, in an accessible way, find out you know, all the ins and outs of formatting a Word document using uh, using those style guides. So there were some things where I, I simply had to have somebody cited, look over my shoulder and say, you know, what is this PDF? Uh, you know, what's going on in this PDF? Because, you know, you can't read any of the formatting in there. So um, you do need some help in some situations. And again, I hope uh, on this whole business of academic style guides, you know, I filled a gap because um, there was nowhere was it written down how you put together an accessible APA or MLA or Chicago Manual of Style um, um, document. So mm -hmm. the the whole idea of what you have done with regard to this book in terms of in terms of making it. Close, and you say very, very close, sounds rather daunting to those of us who have really never published. I've written articles, but I've never published anything before. Um, how difficult was that for you going through that process to get it to the point where you said, oh, this is exactly what I want? Um you know, after a lot of practice, not that hard. But you know, keep in mind. I mean, my, but uh, you know, the goal of the book wasn't to say, you know, to to say uh, to people, here's you how you can write an accessible book. It's sort of like, uh, you know, here's how you can write, you know, a well formatted five page document or ten page document or something like that. And I think, you know, getting a document that size, um, looking good is not such a daunting thing. You know, when you're talking about a, a book, then it's like, okay, I've got to get my table of contents right. I have to have sections, different sections and so on. So there's certainly some bigger challenges when you're talking about a book that's 60, 70 or 100 pages long. Uh, but most people, I think, uh, you know, there are improvements folks can make um, for the everyday documents that they're doing that, like I say, might be five or 10 pages long. So when you actually were doing the book, you couldn't visually look at the book and say, oh, no, I like this or no, I don't like this. So I assume you had to create checklists of things to check off as you did them to make sure it was what you wanted. Um, I don't know if it's that so much. I mean, when you're working on it, you're, you know, you're going through so many iterations of all the things that you do. So uh, I wouldn't say that there was a checklist of, or uh, that I had there. I just sort of knew at any sort of moment, here's what I got to do now. And um, there too, um, again, I was working with JAWS. And so for some of the more esoteric type things, um, you know, JAWS has some nice tools. So for example, um, if you want to put headers into document, I'm not talking headings, but headers. And again, for the style guides, those things are required. Um, JAWS has some nice tools for you to be able to um, um, first identify that you did indeed put a header in there. Um, so there are, you know, there are a number of things there. And um, as I said, one thing that I found quite complicated 
uh, were tables. And again, if you are a student and you're going to be putting together a master's thesis or something like that, you may be called on to put in, you know, quite a number of tables. And that I found uh, daunting. And that's something where even when I did what I thought I was doing right, I always wanted to somebody to visually take a look at that because um, I wasn't entirely confident that what I had done was what I was supposed to do. So you had to publish with two different, uh, you know, publishers, right? So Carol and NBP, National Bureau Press. Right. Um, I'm kind of interested to, to see how the processes differ. Um, did you find that challenging? Uh, was that an interesting, uh, you know, thing that you had to contend with? What, what was that like? Not challenging, but interesting because, you know, these are new experiences. So the word uh, book I did with National Braille Press. And so the process was, you know, I had an idea. And of course, I, I, I had started writing a bit before because I just didn't want to pop some idea that I didn't know how to do. So, you know, I maybe had, you know, 20, 30 pages written and I approached uh, National Braille Press. Uh, they have a, an excellent um, editor for their uh, technical books, uh, Cassell Wilson, and um, said, you know, talked to her on the phone, said, hey, here's my idea for a book. Um, she thought that it sounded interesting. She wanted me to give, you know, an, an illustrative table of contents so she could sort of see what uh, I was thinking of. And when uh, I showed her that, um, she was fine with that. And then I started, you know, kept writing, writing, writing. And when I had a first draft, uh, I sent it to her. She probably spent, I don't know, about a month or so um, uh, editing it, you know, a lot of, you know, a gazillion little small edits, uh, uh, grammatical um, capitals that weren't capitalized or vice versa, um, substantive comments too. And we had a little back and forth. And, you know, um, uh, that definitely was for me a very interesting experience to deal with a professional editor to see how they do what they do. And then, of course, she had some, some excellent comments on uh, things to add, things to cut, more things to cut than to add. And that was that was good. And when I did cut some certain things out, I said, you know, I didn't really need that. This reads much better. Um, so then when um, when we were done, you know, National Braille Press, they are a press. So it's like they do all the publishing. I didn't really have anything to do with that. And they, um, as they typically do, uh, they published it in several formats, um, you know, an electronic Word document, uh, Daisy, hard copy Braille, a downloadable BRF. I might be, uh, I think that's it. I might be forgetting one thing, but you know. Right. Um, so you didn't have to worry about the format of the, and the layout of the book itself. You just had to worry about the content. Uh, right. But again, the, the word file myself, I wanted to get that in as good a shape as I possibly could. Uh, but with a professional editor, you know, they always, you know, have loads of things to do to it. And that was, uh, um, and that was very good. And, you know, it's good discipline to, uh, uh be professionally edited like that. Yeah. Um, now with the Carroll Center, um, that is a different, you know, process. Well, before the, we go the there, Center, before we go there, uh, uh, just to stay yeah. on the NBP side of things, just because it fascinates me, uh, well, both really do. But when, when you, she was, um, providing you know, comments in the text. Did she use word comments or 
did she, would she just send you an email back with, with notes or, or how did that, how did that work? What was that workflow like? Um, couple of things that she did. One was that, you know, there were a lot of little tiny edits. And so she would, uh, she would bracket those little tiny edits. Okay. And I could go through line by line, or I could do, you know, a find command control F and look for a bracket just to jump to those brackets. Um, more substantive comments. Now, I can't remember whether I did this with her or whether I thought afterwards this would be a good thing to do if we ever do another book again. But for more substantive comments, um, uh, either she or I know one of uh, the Carroll Center staff members who, who commented on the book used uh, the comments um, feature in Word. And I grew to really like the comments feature in Word. I hadn't used it that much before, um, but it, it's it's really a nice thing. Um, so, you know, she might send a whole bunch of comments and uh, using, you know, uh, Word as well as some of the JAWS keystrokes. You have various ways to jump to those comments. I would, uh, you know, make an adjustment in the text. If I decided I wanted to do that, I'd delete the comment, I'd go to the next one and so on and so forth. And I find that a very, very nice way to um, to deal with that back and forth, the comments. So I've become a fan of that after really never having used it before. So again, you have that sort of interaction like that. And um, Cassell, because this was our first book together, you know, every little edit, um, she would bracket it because the idea was to be as transparent as possible, uh, the editor and the author to see what changes there were. Um, I did say at the end, you know, if we ever do another book um, for all those little edits, I will trust that you know what you're doing. So I don't want to, and that way, I'm sure she was happy with that too, because that was a lot of Yeah, that's what I would do too. To do all those little tiny edits, but you know, larger comments. Um, I really liked using the comments function in in Word. And how did the process differ when you went to Carroll with your book? Well, again, the Carroll Center is, you know, it is not, uh, it is not a press. It is, you know, we are a rehabilitation training organization. So, you know, uh, books are not something we do. So um, I, you know, basically, uh, uh, you know, wrote the book, you know, wrote some, uh, I'd write some chapters, write some more chapters and so on. And I shared those with a couple of other um, staff members who were very gracious to make uh, comments, including using uh, comments, like I just said. So in that case, we went back and forth. There was no sort of professional line by line editing, uh, as with National Braille Press. And then uh, when uh, we were finished, and by the way, I should say that another book was done just two months before, so we wanted to change, uh, we wanted to uh, um, work the timing a little bit there. Um, uh, Heather Thomas, a colleague, wrote a book about uh, about Zoom, and that came out in early June. I was ready more or less in June with the... Um, with the web browsing document, uh, but we decided to wait a couple of months, you know, so that um, there was a little bit of spacing uh, between those. Um, so in this situation, you know, we were, you know, we had to deal with all the editing ourselves and finalizing it. And again, uh, uh, Heather is one of the uh, people who reviewed it and she's she's cited. So, you know, she took a last look at it to see that visually it was okay. And then we posted it through our uh, store at the Carroll Store, at the Carroll Center, which is called the Carroll Store. 
and it was and it was up there. Now, um, one thing to say is, you know, we're not all geared up like National Braille Press uh, to put out hard copy Braille documents and things like that. So it's only out in Word um, as an electronic file. But you know, um, a week or two after that, we thought a little bit more about it. And says, is there something we can do in Braille? So one of the staff members. Uh, right now is finishing off a BRF uh, version of it. And hopefully that will be done, you know, in a few days or, or uh, a week or two. And what we've decided to do with that is that um, for anybody uh, purchasing the book in the future who hasn't bought it yet, we'll simply let them, uh, you know, for the cost of it, the $20, they will get both the Word file and the BRF file. For people who have purchased the book already, we're going to come up with a system. I'm either going to get the emails from the Carol store or, you know, ask, you know, people to send their receipts that anybody who wants the BRF copy who have already purchased the word copy, we will send that to them. So, you know, in that way we're, um, I, I think it's important um, to uh, do things in Braille. If you can, you know, I know that there are a lot of people uh, who really prefer to read books in Braille. So um, we wanted to try to make that uh, make that available. But, you know, we don't have a whole infrastructure for publishing like the National Braille Press does. So um, it's a little bit learning, uh, learning as you go. Absolutely. David, did you have any trouble with regard to appendices or index, which I assume can be pretty tedious? Were there any issues there? Uh, no, well, I didn't do any index type thing, okay. uh -huh. um, but no, just a couple of appendices. So they're just, you know, they're just sort of like any of the other chapters, only they're um, entitled appendix instead. So no, no, no particular problem with that. Well, let's see. So let's get people raising their hands while David, if you can tell us a little bit about where, where, where are you going to uh, go next with your books? What do you think you're going to write about next? Um, I have an idea. It's sort of like just a, a glint in my eye, although I guess a blind person don't say things like that. But anyway, that's what it is. Um, maybe, uh, and again, I'm not sure, you know, as a trainer, I typically will teach people for two week periods, four week periods, etc. Um, um, you know, the basics of of Windows with a screen reader, usually JAWS and Microsoft Office and web browsing. And it's almost like over the years, I've developed a little script in my brain for, okay, here's what we need to know about Windows. Now here's what we need to know about Outlook and so on. So I'm thinking of almost maybe making sort of uh, a primer, uh, uh, sort of like a uh, sort of a textbook of what I train people in normally. And I might spice that up with sort of a few tips and tricks that aren't just the basic things, but, you know, a few little nifty things that I've found along the way. That's, that's sort of what I'm thinking about, but, um, you know, who knows, some other idea might pop into my head. I'm, I'm more someone though, who's going to, I know going to be more, more windows based. Um, um, I use the iPhone and love my iPhone and so on, but I think, uh, you know, the, and, in the publishing world for the visually impaired, you know, I think uh, National Braille Press and of course uh, uh, the person in the next hour have done a very good job, I think, of covering the whole um, um, iPhone Apple terrain. And so maybe, maybe, um, 
uh, yeah, maybe something along the lines of what I just said there. I have some ideas for books I'd love to read if someone else would write them. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe we'll, maybe, but, maybe we'll uh, uh, sneak that in here in a couple of minutes yeah. here. Yeah. Okay. By the way, did, did you find that web browsing changed much or does it change much from one country to the other with the way that they have things laid out? One country to another? What, I'm not sure. I mean, just any, any, any particular way of doing things, does it differ at all? That I'm not sure. I, yeah, I probably not. Just just curious about that. I wouldn't mm. expect that it would, but I, I wouldn't I think so. Throw that out there. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't think so. All right. Well, Mika. Mika this. We yeah. didn't introduce her earlier, but she's our Zoom facilitator, and she's going to watch the hands, and there are about three already that have been raised. Yes, we do have hands up. <laughs> so our first question is, um, let's, hopefully I allowed her to talk, is going to be Anne Barnes. Hey, um, I know I was listening on ACB radio and then I came into the room uh, <clears throat> just a few minutes ago, but the question I had, you said something about fiction. Um, have you published fiction or have you just published with uh, NBP and the Carroll Center? Oh, I, I, uh, a few years ago, I wrote, you know, a few short stories and um got them published in a couple of obscure literary journals that nobody reads, but, um, um, yeah. And, uh, stuff that has totally nothing to do with blindness. It's my way of, uh, doing escapism. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. I, I'm, because I've, I'm a self-published author and I've had to have help with formatting the one book that I've got up now, but I was just wondering if you had any success with self-publishing outside of the blindness community. I didn't. I've I have not tried any self-publishing. Again, I've like sort of submitted some like short stories and things like that to uh, academic journals, and uh, you of course get rejected a lot more than you get accepted. That's the nature of it. Stay tuned. No, stay yeah. tuned. Stay tuned, though, because uh, Michael has done quite a bit of this in reference to using other tools, and he might be able to lend you some advice on this one. So stay tuned in the second hour. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, our next question is from Paul. Paul, you should be allowed to unmute. Okay. Oh, um, you are allowed. Nice. Good. All right. Um, I have done a lot of, you know, Braille documents, you know, doing a lot of translating Word documents to Braille, and I like to use the, the styles a lot. I think styles makes things a whole lot better, and I think that I found that I can do a lot of um, my own good formatting with styles and the like a word index, I mean, the, uh, um, oh, what's that? Ah, I can't remember. There's a, there's a, um, not a word index. It is the, um, text analyzer with text analyzer and JAWS. My question is when you get into the style guides of different style guides, do they actually have templates built that contain all the styles that they want you to use with their formats? Or do you have to take their academic manuals so to speak and actually you know build your own styles um you know it's really it's it's let's say the apa style that is sort of the most um complex and so on you really just sort of need to see a list of all the requirements you know um must be times new roman 12 point you know no paragraph spacing the header must look exactly like this on page one and then exactly like this on page two and beyond. So you just sort of need to get 
that list of things and then um, and then put it together. Um, so I'm not aware of any um, any templates that exist. And frankly, whenever I've tried to use like templates in Word, um, I've just found, and again, maybe it's my own limitation, um, incredibly complicated. Much easier just to know, here's what I need to do and just, you know, just do it. Mm -hmm. All right. And I'm actually going to ask a question. So um, put your uh, hand my up. Put is, your hand up. I, well, it's up in the air right now. Well, you know? okay. <laughs> the host can do whatever she wants. <laughs> That's right. I'm taking some host privilege. <laughs> so my question is, um, I recently discovered the um, the text analyzer with JAWS on my work computer. Um, at home, I use NVDA exclusively, and so I was wondering if there. Um, if A, if there is something that is comparable, and B, if not, um, what are some tricks or some techniques or some things that we could be looking out for as NVDA users to also have some of that same access? Okay. Uh, well, I love Text Analyzer, and I just, you know, there's lots of things you can do, but I just keep it very simple. And, you know, and um, just for checking uh, punctuation errors, and I invariably, you know, uh, catch some things that I would not otherwise have caught. For example, you know, um, extra spaces between words uh, that in theory spell check is supposed to catch, but it doesn't. Um, um, what's called stray punctuation. So, for example, you finish a word and then there's a space and then there's a comma or something like that. Um, so there, there is no... Um, um, there's really nothing similar to that in NVDA. It's just a really nice tool that JAWS has. However, there are little tricks you can do, I discovered. You know, for example, um, if you want to get rid of extra spaces between words, you can use the find and replace, like control H, and you can type in space, space, and then tab once, and type in space, and then tab to the replace all, and voila, that will get rid of all your extra spaces between words. And I haven't played with it, but you might be able to do a similar thing. You know, if you ever find, you know, type in space, comma, and and then do a replace with just comma. So there are little tricks that you might try. I uh, find and replace is a great little um, a great little tool uh, that's underestimated for all the fun little things you can do with it. But short answer, there is no equivalent to text analyzer in um, um, in NVDA, but you can maybe trick the computer into doing some of those things. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much. And you can probably even talk to them about adding it. I'm sure that maybe that's something oh, I will. would consider. <laughs> mm -hmm. I will. And um, Tanya, you should be allowed to talk. Yes, um, my name is Tanya Tete, and I'm an author. I'm a self-published author, and I had some questions about getting my book into different formats for the blind. Um, I would like to get it on audio, and I would like to get it on Braille. And I was wondering if he had any ideas that I could use. Well, um, again, I'm, uh, yeah, 
you would need, if you can't do it yourself, you would need to find somebody um, who would, um, uh, who would, you know, read it for you or braille it for you. And that might cost money or you might have a good friend or something like that. But I don't, I don't have any particular expertise uh, in that area. Again, our nine o'clock speaker, he might have uh, more to say on that than, 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 than I do. All right, Gloria, you will need to unmute yourself so you can talk. Gloria, if you could please unmute. All right, we're going to go to Penny. You should be able to unmute yourself. Oh. Uh. Yes, I, I've never heard of text analyzer, and I was wondering what that is. And could you repeat what you said about the find it? You use Alt-H to find and then find and replace? Uh, well, I'll start with the last first. So um, you can hit uh, with Word, uh, Control-H, and that lands you in the find box. So um, this is useful for, you know, finding something and globally replacing it with something else. You know, just keep it um, uh, simple. You know, let's say you're writing the next great American novel and, you know, your uh, main character's name was John and you decided you want to change his name to Paul. Uh, you could do control H, type in John, tab to uh, the replace, type in Paul. Then you type two or three more, tab two or three more times where it says replace all and you hit the space bar and boom, makes 78 or 89 or 100 and some odd replacements. And so it's a really nice tool for um, uh, doing sort of global changes like that. You know, I've had situations, for example, where, you know, I used to think that JAWS was spelled capital J, little A-W-S. Well, JAWS is spelled all caps. So rather than going through and finding every occurrence of the miss, the missed, the incorrectly type JAWS, I would type in, uh, in the find, capital J, little AWS, tab to the replace, type it in all caps, and then tab to the replace all, and boom, it gets rid of, uh, it changes them all uh, really quickly. Now, text analyzer, you can do a number of things with this, but the main thing I do is it you can use it to um, um, correct uh, punctuation errors. And it's very nice. You just hit Alt-Windows-I, that's the little keystroke, and it will jump to the next thing that it sees as a problem. For example, extra spaces between words or what's called straight punctuation, you know, a word ending and then a space and then a comma or then a period or um, uh, quotations where, you know, you started the quote, but you forgot to end the quote and vice versa. Or you started a print, you parenthesized something, you did the start parentheses, the opening, and you forgot the closing. So you can hit all Windows I and you can jump to all of these problems quickly. So I've gotten into the habit of doing spell check uh, frequently. Everybody should do spell check early and often. And then I'll immediately follow that with uh, um, text analyzer. And like I say, it invariably catches some things that I can then correct that I would not otherwise have uh, found. So not very nice little tool. Okay, and Gloria, I uh, see that you were able to unmute. Yes. Um, I have a very old computer. I have uh, the word XP, and it isn't supported any longer. But I'm finding that as I lose more and more of my vision, 
uh, I'm looking at getting JAWS, but what computer program do you use for Word? I mean, do you use uh, the 10 series or um, how does that work these days? Well, you would want to, you know, get a new computer that's a would be, you know, a Windows 10. Uh, in terms of Word, you know, these days you have the choice of either um, buying an annual license called, you know, Office. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's called, I guess, it's called Mike. Is it called 365. Office? 365 now. Yeah. 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 Okay. 365. And uh -huh. um, that's what I like because you know you get all the updates. You can you also have the option of of just buying right now. Office 2019, and then you you own that, and I'm told you know they stop supporting it seven right. years from now. But I like 365 myself better. That's what I have on my own personal computer because you get updates uh, as they come, uh, you know, improvements. And um, Microsoft has done some really nice things in the last few years that I would not have had if I had say a few years ago bought had bought Office 2016 and had just stuck with that um so um one one nice thing that's developed over time is you know uh between let's say microsoft office and jaws you know both have sort of gone to annual licenses um and so you can be up to date with your software for maybe on an annual basis i'll say maybe 150 dollars or something like that when you had to buy the full-blown program you know okay. back in the day it was a lot more expensive um. Okay, good. Um, I wrote a book that I had published on Amazon last August, and then uh, I was using just my thumb drive, and I sent it to a sighted friend who typed it into uh, the template that Amazon had. And I do have a publisher now, and I'm working on a book um, for blind, it's a guidebook for the visually impaired, adult visually impaired, and um, they have a template also. But with my computer and my vision, I'm not able to do it. So what I'm doing now is I'm putting it on a thumb drive, and my daughter is transposing it, you know, for me. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping to have that out soon, and yeah. uh, so it's really exciting, you know, if. They say, if you can't do it, you teach. <laughs> and I have a writing background, so uh, I really enjoy this. And I'm hoping that I can be of some help to some people. Yeah. See, my um, thing, the, the books I wrote, I, I would, uh, for myself anyway, you know, hesitate to put those on Amazon and so on, because <clears throat> I think that limits the scope of the people who can, who can read it. You know, there aren't that many people uh, visually impaired people, this might change over time, who like can use a Kindle or something like that. So um, I definitely, I know I want to, any book I do, I know I want to make it available in Word electronically and ideally also in Braille because, you know, that's how you're going to uh, reach um, um, a larger number of, uh, of blind people. You know, someday I might try out Amazon or Kindle, but I wouldn't want, personally anyways, to... Um, put out a book that is essentially for visually impaired people um, uh, on Amazon. Okay. Um, we, we, do we have more time for questions? Yeah, we're good to close to the top of the hour. Yep. Okay. So we have a little bit of time. And I will say I also, I use the Kindle app to read. And I think that the 
Mark, it, it may be, it might surprise you just how many people are reading on Kindle. It might, it might, yeah. yeah. I read once in a while, not all the time, oh, I do too. but once in, once in a while, if I find something I can't find anywhere else, certainly I'll buy it and read it on Kindle. Um, okay. Anne. Anne, you should be unmuted. Oh, I'm sorry, Anne. Let's try that now. <laughs> there we go. I know I was just talking away. And anyway, um, but I'm not sure. This is not really a question, but I do a quick tip. Um, it depends on where you want to get your audio. If you want to get it on Bard, I'm not sure how to do that. But if you want to get it on Audible, you can go to acx.com and set up your account. And then if you know of an audio narrator, like, for example, Lily Rowe, a.k.a. Lillian Eves, does a discount. She and her collaborator do a discount for, for visually impaired or people with low income. Or if you want to audition and do royalty share or you want to pay up front. I'm not sure how to do that yet, but setting up the account itself was fairly accessible. So just thought I'd throw that out there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I think Gloria has her hand raised again. Is she back? Or has she not maybe put it down, maybe? Um, I'll go to her in just a moment, but yeah. we also have... Okay, let's see. Oh, I think she put her hand down. Okay, um, and that looks like all of your questions for right now. Um, I want to make sure people know how to raise their hands. It's star nine if you're on a phone, alt Y if you're on the PC, options Y if you're on a Mac, and if you're using a smartphone or a tablet, um, it, it's under more in the lower right-hand corner of your phone. There's a raise hand option there. So if you have so, a burning question, if you haven't asked it yet. David, you, you just finished this book not too long ago on, on, on the browser. Um, as you were going through the book, tell us maybe the most interesting and fascinating uh, thing you learned in terms of a tip or trick that might help somebody. Okay. Well, I think you know the answer to this one already, Larry. But I do. It, yeah. I do. It, it's not something that I learned. It's something that I've used a lot. And that is, and again, one of, one of the themes of the book is, you know, really get the best out of each of the browsers and um, that can uh, enhance your overall experience. So um, I like to use favorites in Internet Explorer, you know, favorites and bookmarks, uh, you know, uh, they're the same thing. They're just called different things in different browsers. Um, but for various reasons, um, I uh, have used and will continue to use uh, favorites in Internet Explorer and sort of blow off bookmarks in the other ones. And the reason I do that, there's several reasons for that. Um, one is because it's, you know, integrated into uh, uh, File Explorer of Windows 10 um, for managing your favorites. If you already know how to um, um, manage files and folders and say your documents folder, you don't need to learn anything new. You know, all the keystrokes for creating a new folder, for copying, cutting, pasting, etc. All of those are the same. Secondly, once you've done that, you can like so your documents folder, you can put favorites right on your desktop so you can get to them really quickly. And then third, um, when you open uh, one of those favorites, even though it was created in Internet Explorer, it's going to open in your default browser. 
So you might decide, you know, I've moved on to Chrome now, or I've moved on to uh, the new edge. Um, but I will still create my favorites in Internet Explorer, and then I'll open them in whatever my default browser is at, at the moment. I think it's Edge right now. Um, so that that is my my favorite my favorite favorite recommendation um, in terms of um, a feature that's very nice to use that makes life easier, regardless of which web browser you wind up using as your as your default. Do you use different browsers? And if you do, which things do you use them for? Um, I think like some people, you know, I've, I've got, you know, you get the impression that certain websites work better, better with one browser over another. Uh, but as I think uh, I showed, uh, demonstrated on uh, Monday, as one example, um, I will always, if I'm going to go to YouTube, I will always use a Google Chrome uh, because I found a very nice um, extension uh, that gets rid of ads. So um, I like to go to uh, YouTube and not have to wait a minute or two to hear some ads before I actually hear the content that I want. Um, uh, but I think we, you know, we all run into websites that sort of work better with one browser uh, than with another. Uh, another thing too is I know I'm going to go to a a web page that's quite cluttered with you know a lot of links at the top and a lot of stuff in the middle. And I just want to read an article. The new Edge has a really nice feature called Immersive Reader, where you get into the web page, you just hit F9, and it strips out all that excess stuff. So um, you know, those are some examples where I would just switch around between uh, because I know that my uh, browsing experience is going to be uh, going to be better. I know I can give you another example that I found uh, where I'll be ready to download a file of, of some kind with Edge, and I'll get warned that this file might hurt your computer, and then I can't, pressing enter does nothing. I can't download it no matter what I do. Uh, so I switch over to Google Chrome, and I might get that same warning, but at least I can download it. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've encountered that situation or not. but I haven't encountered that, but that reminds me of one thing, and that is um, Chrome downloads really fast too um, compared to say internet explorer or firefox i think so sometimes when you want to download and you want to get it done quickly um, chrome is quite quick now uh, edge might also be quick too i haven't run a stopwatch on those yeah it is edge is pretty quick too yeah, yeah. and gives you instantaneous information about where you are with regard to the download it's pretty cool uh, mika we have another hand raised okay they snuck in on me. <laughs> okay, Mary Heroyan, you should be able to unmute and to talk. Oh, okay, like thank you. you. Yes. Hi, thank you. Thanks, Mika. Hi, David. Um, so I definitely do plan to purchase your book on web browsers for sure. Um, I wanted to ask, and I know this is probably a silly question, but I'm not somebody that downloads um, so just downloading whether Google Chrome or Firefox, is that a fairly easy process, downloading? Um, uh, it depends. You know, sometimes it's easy. It really depends on the website. Sometimes it's really hard to find the download link or the download button or whatever. Uh, but once you find it, uh, the download process is very quick. Um, 
things go to your default download folder, which unless you changed it, is your downloads folder. Um, the, the biggest challenge often is, is really more finding on the web page uh, where that download link is or that download button. But once you find it, um, the rest of it's easy. So that's what I would look for is when I, if let's say I'm going to want to download Firefox, I would go to the website and look for the download link or button. Or are you talking about installing? Oh, you're, yes. Are you talking about installing yes. a program like Firefox? Yes, that's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> yes, yes. Yeah. What I, what I just typically do is, um, you know, I um, I do a search, you know, download Firefox. Uh, download Google Chrome or whatever. And usually, you know, one of your first search results is the correct page to go to. Um, and then it's a question of, you know, down airing through there or hitting H for heading and hopefully finding the download link or the download button uh, fairly quickly. Um, there's also a, a website called Ninite, N-I-N-I-T-E. It's terrific. Com. And you can go there and you can just sort of... Um, go down through a whole bunch of stuff and check checkboxes or check checkbox for um, downloading Firefox and NVDA and maybe four or five other things and you get them all in one fell swoop. And that, that can be nice um, too. Mm -hmm. um, but generally the download process for, you know, for the browsers is pretty, um, uh, it's just a question of finding it, usually not too hard to find. And then uh, goes to your download folder, and then you know, then there's an uh, executable installation file, and you just follow through. So that's in, um, in sometimes, and not not in all cases, but in some in some instances, you if you're using JAWS, you can hit B for button. It'll take you to every button on that page, and often downloads is a part of that sequence. Yeah, yeah. sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, David, how can people find your books? Okay, well, uh, for the web browsing book. Um, and that's called uh, When uh, One Web Browser Is Not Enough. Um, you can go to the, the Carroll Center, and that is www.carroll.org, C-A-R-R-O-L-L dot O-R-G. And there's a link for shop, you know, S-H-O-P, and that will bring you to the Carroll store, and then you'll find it right there. And that is $20. Uh, and um, like I say, it's a Word file, but we're going to add BRF. And for those who want it, uh, that won't be any extra charge. For the word formatting book, again, that's a National Braille Press. So that is uh, uh, nbp.org. And I forget the exact links, but there is, there is a link to where you can go to the bookstore. Then there's a link, I think, for different categories. And there's a technology uh, category. And if you hit enter on that, uh, my book is one of the books that is uh, listed. And that book is uh, uh, $18. And as I think I mentioned before, in uh, in several different formats. Yeah. And uh, I included links in the main menu announcements that went out uh, earlier today. So people can oh, directly link you. directly to those books and purchase mm -hmm. them. So awesome. Thank you, David, so very, very much. You're welcome to stick around if you want when we talk to Michael. Um, I am going to stick around. Yeah, that would be great. Good. And you can sure. uh, add some comments if you want. Um, uh, so w without further ado, let's welcome Michael Fair. Hello, Michael. How are you? I think he is muted. Probably so. But he's here. He's still yeah. here. So yep. there you go. There you are. Yep. There you are. To, uh, unmute. There you go. <laughs> hey, welcome. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. So, yeah, yeah well, welcome uh, aboard. I'm doing pretty well. 
And it's, it's been a heck of a, a period uh, this this past little COVID slice of life. It has, hasn't it? It's been a little crazy. So so before we dive into books and all that, tell us a little bit about yourself because a lot of people a lot of people may not know who you are. Now I, I've heard you on, you know, uh, Jonathan Mosen show and uh, you know the 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 uh, the podcast from CNIB, right? All of that. So um, yeah, yeah, tell us about well, yourself. Uh, yeah, I uh, I've have I've grown up with access technology, and uh, I got my first Apple IIe when I was about ten years old, and so so I've seen access tech sort of mature as I did. It literally grew up with me in a lot of ways, uh, and of course, uh, for a while Apple was uh, kind of out of the accessibility thing. Uh, so I, I kind of went. I had a Eureka A4, which is an Australian computer that I did high school with. So there was, I bounced around between a few different systems on the way up. And then, of course, Windows. Um, and then, you know, I got my iPhone. Uh, and, and I was not an easy sell. Uh, I, I did university with Windows, basically. I have an English degree, a BA, and, uh, in, in English, English literature, basically. And uh, it, it uh, you know, I, I learned afterwards, you know, it, 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 no one really wanted that. You know, when you went to look for a job, <laughs> there wasn't much out there. Uh, so I've spent my, most of my life on social assistance and doing what I can with what I had. And eventually, you know, I looked for a job for years and then just got to a point where I said, you know what, you know, I'm going to see what I can do and, and just give and, and try to improve other people's lives instead of banging my head against the wall. You know, let's see what I can do to to, you know, add to the world. So I did Odyssey Magazine, uh, started that during my university days and did that for about eight years. It's all about accessible games for blind people. And then years later, uh, I, I spent a lot of time trying to make uh, a game. I, I've made a couple attempts of that and have failed because I'm just not a programmer as things turn out. I'm an English major. Um, so, you know, I got to the point where I realized I was getting a lot more enjoyment from my computer than a lot of other blind people were from there. I seemed to know more about what was out there and uh, what you could do than a lot of people. So I wrote Personal Power for the PC uh, back in uh, in 20, I published it in 2009. That was a, that was a two-year project and uh, it was about a hundred, uh, what was it? 50, 57,000 words that clocked in at. And uh, that was my very first attempt at something like this. And uh, it, 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 like similar to the iOS edition, it encompassed everything it, from games to shopping, to communications, to uh, all sorts of different things that you could do with a, a Windows computer that, at least in Canada, you didn't get trained for. If you got a personal computer for personal use, you you got like a week's worth of training, and it was basically uh, they they had to teach you how to read and write with it. And that was it. Like everything else, you were on your own. And God help you if you do anything that damages your computer, right? Because <laughs> then you, you, you might have to pay for someone to come out and set things right. So you know, I thought this, this just didn't seem right for me. So I wrote that guide and it got a lot of spread and uh, people spread it by email. And, and I got emails from countries I'd never heard of. Yeah. And when did you uh, write that in Word? I did that in uh, in Microsoft Word, yes. Okay, okay. That was that was in Word, and uh, you know after that, I uh, you know it, eventually I got my iPhone in 2011, and uh, I was a volunteer find ways to volunteer. I was at the Dam, which is an organization kind of like a, a little 
kind of like big brother for a group of, of troubled teens. And I would go down to the center and help as best I could. Um, and, uh, you know, they, right around that time, I got my first iPhone, my mom broke her phone and needed a replacement. So she got a phone that I bought cause it had buttons on it. And for the past while before this, you know, back in 2010, I started hearing about this crazy thing called an iPhone that for some reason, blind people were investing in. And they, they said it had no buttons. Like there was just a touch screen, but you could do so much with it. And I kind of, I was not an easy sell. I was very skeptical, you know, and, uh, you know, but they, it kept coming up. And eventually I kept looking. I, I learned about Apple This. I looked on that. That's a great site, applevis.com, A-P-P-L-E-V-I-S, as in vision. Go there if you haven't yet. It is worth the time to look around. Uh, so by the time, you know, my mom needed uh, a new phone, I was ready to take this leap and get my first iPhone. And, uh, you know, back, it was an iPhone 4. This was back in 2011. So we're nowhere near back then what it can do now. Uh, but it was as advertised. You know, I held this thing in my hand. And my first thought was it was like one of those drink coasters that if you put your beer down wrongly, it would go flying. Uh, you know, it didn't feel very fancy. Uh, but boy, when, uh, when things started working, uh, you know, I, I quickly I was I realized that oh wow I can I can do this I can really master this and over the years I saw that grow from very simple beginnings to oh my god now I can write documents with this uh, you know get a Bluetooth keyboard and pair it and start writing that way uh, you know more capabilities the, the camera for a long time you couldn't scan very well because the the apps weren't given control of the camera so as as the, as more of that became available, you started to see more and more capabilities pile in. And I started to realize that a lot of the blind people I met, I kept running into these people with iPhones, same as me or newer in a lot of cases, but they didn't know what they could do. So basically, I just, I was, history was repeating itself here, you know, just like with the computer, here's this great device that, you know, by when I started this in, in you know, 20. 16, you know, it was mature at that point. I mean, we had, uh, you know, we could, I, I was at the point where I was actually getting into an argument with my friend about how, you know, this thing can basically replace a computer now. Like if you get the right accessories, you know, Bluetooth keyboard for any lengthy writing, you know, AirPods, earpods, um, you know, the basic stuff like that, you know, an air printer to print stuff out. I mean, you didn't really need a computer past a certain point. Your phone was a computer. And not only that, but here's something that you can you can take pictures with and have groceries and items identified with. You can get sighted people to help you look for dropped handkerchiefs, which are very quiet and hard to find, by the way, if you ever drop one. Uh, <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and they're deadly on, on hardwood floors. I mean, you're going to go flying if you're not careful. You know, so I mean, there's so many things like that. Reading print. I mean, like the first time I had a KNFB reader, uh, John Morgan, a, a philanthropist who I was very fortunate to know and was responsible for a lot of of me being able to afford some of the apps and things that I explored in the guide and an iPad that I've, I've since given away because uh, I found it a real struggle. So it wasn't really doing me as much good, but it, it did the job of at least showing me what things were like. And so I could give some advice to people 
on using it. Um, and, you know, it, it, it was, uh, you know, because he gave me the first crack at KNFE Reader, for example, right? And that was an amazing app for its time. I mean, you know, you've heard the, the hype. It just sounded incredible. Someone snapping a picture of a board at the front of, a, of an auditorium and having it read out flawlessly in seconds. And I'm like, no way, you know, this is just, you know. And then, of course, you know, eventually, you know, John Morgan wanted to know what I thought of this app. So he quoted the bill for it. And I got this app and I tried it. And I was like, wow, this is really working. And now I can read print and mail in seconds. And I had this big, huge poster, this government brochure, what you can do. And it's a big poster-sized thing for a wall, right? And I, I thought, okay, this will really push it, put this thing to the test. And I, because you can't wrestle those things into a flatbed scanner. So I grab the thing, I plunk it down, I snap, I, I hold the phone above it, get, finally get it all centered, snap a picture. And the thing read perfectly like absolutely perfectly pronouncing the names right. No spelling errors, nothing. It was just, it was the most boring thing that I've ever read with utter fascination, just waiting for a mistake that never happened, right? And that, you know, these things all add up, you know, having something in your pocket that's a GPS that you can navigate around, uh, it tells you where you were and it works better than the $800 device that I used to have that was designed for blind people. This thing did the job better, faster, easier, and you already paid for the hardware. And that's when I just got, I started to put the pieces all kind of came together. Like you, you could save so much money with this one device with all this different technology that app developers can tap into. You've already paid for the hardware and the software, you just had to make it to, to get that access what you'd already paid for. And then you have a working GPS, a working OCR product that you didn't have to pay hundreds of dollars for. Uh, you know, all these different things. Word processing apps. There are lots of choice now uh, for what you use to write with. Uh, so I thought, you know, I'll, I'll start this project. There were a couple of other things that sort of pushed me into it. But I thought, you know, people should know about this. Pete, this ought to exist there. And it had to be personal. This is not about getting a career. This is not about getting a job. This is about enjoying something that is a major part of the sighted world and taking advantage of some of the economic benefits and the access that it grants you. I, you know, you were talking about Kindle books earlier. I have probably on the order of close to 3000 Kindle books and they're all completely accessible to me. I can read them with my braille display. I can read them just audibly with uh, any of the voices that voiceover has. I can navigate those books. I can, see how things are spelled. I can search for keywords. I can use all those different things, look up definitions with the built-in dictionary that the Kindle app has. It's all incredibly accessible. And it's been that way since 2013. That's when they kind of made it accessible. And that's when my bank account has, has, has never recovered, you know, because <laughs> all of a sudden I could choose what, what books I wanted. I could build a personal library. That in itself is just thunderously revolutionary in my world. I spent all my life up to this point, you know, okay, what have the library decided to make accessible for blind people? Or do I want to pay three times as much for a, a maybe, hopefully not abridged auto, audio copy of something, right? I mean, or get it illegally, right? Those were your choices. Now, all of a sudden, I could get obscure books in about game design, about, you know, nonfiction things that weren't bestsellers, uh, all kinds of things that normally would just be out of my reach as a blind person were suddenly 
all available, like someone flicked a switch. And that blind people have to know about that. It can't be about, do I, am I pursuing a job or not? This thing can help people, give people a voice. You can have an online presence with one of these things. You know, use social media, communicate with family and friends, play games, all of these different things. Watch Netflix, watch TV. A lot of these things have descriptive audio. The apps make it really easy to tap in and do that and take advantage of this stuff. So this is the benefits of going this route are immense. And that is why I had to write this guide. I, I couldn't live with enjoying all this and thinking of all these other blind people who could if they just knew what they held in their hands already. A lot of them, I, I met so many that had iPhones and didn't realize what they had, didn't know about voiceover, some of them. Yeah. They thought Siri was what made it all accessible, right? And it's not. Siri is a digital assistant. It's not meant to do everything. Right. You know, it's, right. it's, you know, you, it, it's not what makes it accessible. So I had to write this, this guide. It started out as this should exist, and it ended up being a weight around my yeah. soul. Yeah, you it's, it's really big. How big is it? It is. It's huge. It, it's 250,000 words. Yeah. Um, and, and that is a lot of pages, apparently. Yeah, it, it is. Thousand. It's over a thousand pages. Yeah, that's. I uh, don't doubt it. <laughs> it's it doesn't hurt if you drop it on your toe. That, that's longer than some of the Harry Potter novels. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. It, it, and things, and what people don't realize is, I probably wrote twice that amount because things are sure. changing. I started, you know, over the past three years, you know, three and a half years, we have seen more change and more possibility open up in iOS. And you know, not only that, but stuff would disappear. I would have apps lined up to to feature, and then all of a sudden they weren't available. They, they you know, economics, uh, you know, right, and, kill them off. And yeah. then, yeah, so you'd have to look for more. There's six thousand, seven thousand, ten thousand words you wrote are now useless. Yeah, you have to get rid of it. Plus, I had you know a couple of disasters. It's not a smooth process. I was using Ulysses most of the time. It worked really, really well. Uh, but then towards the end, of course, the voiceover spell check stuff, was the rotor kind of broke. Uh, you couldn't use misspelled words right when I needed it most, when I was going to do most of that stuff. So I cringe at some of the typing things that I missed, right? Because I had all these plans to, for people to help me edit, uh, give me feedback. I published sections on my blog thinking I'd get more feedback that way. That never really panned out. Uh, so I did everything I could to encourage feedback from people. But, you know, they had their lives, and, of course, then COVID hits, and all of a sudden everyone is uh, <laughs> is dealing with this. And all of my plans to sort of really smooth it out, catch big things at the end, uh, a lot of that fell through. And I was left scrambling trying to do everything on my own. And it passed, I was really burned out at this time, right, at the end of it. It's, it's it, it just even getting all the stuff I wanted to include because I really felt I had to give a good wide range and snapshot of of the possibilities of the stuff that people might yeah. want to use so that they'll start exploring, right? Because that's the big thing. No one tells you about this stuff. You know, there's nothing pointing new users to voiceover. There's nothing that you need second sight to know to click the action button three times to start voiceover in the middle of setup so that you can then do, do that without regular sight. Right. I mean, that's the kind of stuff mm -hmm. that unfortunately is part and parcel of the Apple process and ecosystem. You know, it's it they 
the, the basic philosophy is we don't need to ship a manual. This is so intuitive. You can just learn it. And for a lot of sighted people, that's true. But blind people have to learn gestures and learn how to use voiceover. And that's more sighted people need to learn how to walk. Blind people need to learn how to dance. Yeah, that right. Is, you know, it's right. a lot harder. There's more of a learning curve and it's less intuitive for a blind person at the start. The thing is, it, that basically changes. Once you get to a certain point, it all does really click and you start understanding the conventions. It's a really well thought through system. And once you reach that level, everything really does become a lot more intuitive and, and you almost don't even think about it past a certain point. But it, it's a journey to get there. Right. So and the, then the other problem is what apps are accessible. That right. was the other big challenge that Mm-hmm. that Apple has left at us. So that guide really goes in, to, recommends a lot of apps and, and possibilities more. It's almost more about what is possible than how to do things. Okay. Essentially. Yeah, neat. Yeah, because there's other, there's other books out there that will dive into the nitty-gritty details of, say, voiceover and, and other things, right? Yeah, I wasn't really trying to reinvent the wheel. Uh, the help, that's just that's tragedy is a lot of help is already out there but nothing points a newcomer who say orders an iphone hearing how accessible they are right. gets it on you know in the mail nothing will point you to where you you should go to find out more so you're basically stuck yeah you know unless you have outside information so that is is what i hope to really help with to get you know something out there that and it had to be free had to be something that people could just distribute, that people could share, that organizations could just give to who needed it and, and didn't know they needed it, right? Because, I mean, let's face it, as, as a blind person, the thought that you, you can do all this with a flat device without any buttons, it, it's, it's kind of an absurd proposition. Yeah, yeah. Right? If, if you're not familiar with what's possible, like if you had told me all this 10 years ago, I would have laughed at you. Absolutely. You know, that one day... You know, I'd be walking around. I'd be writing a guide on my balcony with my laptop just sitting there unused inside as I worked on this guide <laughs> with my iPhone and accessories, right? I mean, that's awesome. Know, that's that, yeah. and, and a lot of that is, is the apps have become a lot of developers have really come to, to that for us mm-hmm. and included support. So Ulysses has been wonderful for most of the time. There have been periods where it's it's unfortunately they didn't have beta testers and, and you know they uh, didn't think about voiceover and it would slow to a crawl and it wouldn't affect any sighted users right so they were all still happy but of course as a blind person you're now dealing with a next to useless app until they fix that right so so part of what happened was i you always have to have a backup plan if you're working on something this big uh I, you know i had another app called scrivener which i used and I've since discovered, like, the idea was I'd transfer stuff to Scrivener and then I'd transfer it back, but you had to do it section by section. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, what happened, and I didn't catch this because, you know, by the time I was really editing, I was, I was running on fumes, is, you know, some of the, the, some of the sections that I did were I, I work on a show called Kelly and & Company, and AMI Audio is a service in Canada, AMI.ca. Uh, and it's, you can listen to it as, as Americans as well. Um, and they have audio programming and uh, Kelly and companies on in the afternoons. I do a segment for Kelly and company. I cover entertainment, audio entertainment. So drama, uh, games, all that kind of stuff, podcasts, mm-hmm. internet radio. And I also cover tech. And I tried to, to make that task. I write prep notes every week so that the hosts can sound like they know what they're talking about. 
and and you know we can do good segments and and I write uh, prep notes for those and then I use those prep notes to build from that into guide sections right so at, unfortunately in a couple places you'll find the prep note question answers instead of the segment the sections that I crafted around those notes and that I'm I really I, I hate that I missed a couple of those spots uh in in a, a few different places uh, yeah. that, that kind of thing could happened and that's all down to the problems that that materialized with some of the apps and then with voiceover uh for a, a chunk of, of the time sure. uh, editing spell checking and stuff uh it was yeah just well, the, ios 13 in general was a horrible place to stop yeah yeah <laughs> well let's take a step back um and talk a little bit about you know you you've wrote your first book in word and now that you move to the mobile platform to to write your next one and and let's talk about the differences and why, you know, for example, with Ulysses, what, what, what made you choose that platform and, and what do you feel that it brings to the table from an accessibility perspective? Okay, basically Ulysses, the perspective, it's, it's uh, whole stick is we're going to make, this is for writers and we're going to make, make it so that it's as easy as possible to just write. You're not going to have to worry so much about the formatting uh, it's mainly to get your to organize your groups. You can have sheets, and sheets can be any length. You can have groups of sheets. Groups can have any number of sheets. You can rearrange those sheets at any time within a group. Uh, so it makes organizing and and deciding on your your layout of your book a lot easier. You can decide what goes where and change your mind in the middle of that, and make drastic alterations without it. You know, mattering because you uh, it, it it's it, it it doesn't matter uh, until you actually export the group of sheets. It's it's just a, a, a you know you can go in and out of any sheet with you know and and move it with impunity. So that was really attractive. Also, the markdown, the thought of you know I can put formatting in there and it's all punctuation. So there's no there's no hidden stuff. It's all out in the open. If you get star star or you know for underlining, uh, I used a lot of headings, so number number signs, hash marks mm -hmm. uh, are your heading symbol. And once you learn the symbols, you can just look and see what you you know if you want to underline something, you can see where the underline starts and stops, that sort of thing. It's just all there, you know. So let's and, so uh, let's talk I, about markdown a little bit cuz I, I don't know that many people here that are listening know what that really means. Can you tell us, you know, the structure of markdown? How does that how does that work? What kind of things can you do with that? Well, it's it's made for simple formatting. So basically the idea behind this is that you put punctuation in to uh, and there's different ones like star 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 for maybe underline. There's different symbol combinations to do different things, right? And you just learn you don't even have to learn all of them because of course a lot of these programs like Ulysses, for example, have toolbars and things. Instead of learning all the commands, you can just go to those toolbars, which are always there on the screen, and and pick out the command that you want, right? So there's, there's different approaches. And what basically these commands do is, is then they insert those punctuation marks into the, the document, and you just write and just use those formatting things when you need to. And then uh, when you export uh, from a markdown, uh, file, it, Ulysses will activate all those commands and they'll become formatting. So those hash marks will then make what comes after them a heading. 
right? And you can specify the level of heading and different things like that. And it will it will activate those. So in the printed out document or in the exported document that you set your rich text or PDF or EPUB or the other formats that you can you can export to, a sighted person will look at that and, and won't see all your punctuation. They'll just see the, the formatted document where those commands have been acted on in, in during the, the export process. So that is the beauty of, of Ulysses. Is it basically is supposed to be from writing right through publishing. People use this to publish their blog postings and things. And some novel uh, people have, have published novels with it as well. Uh, there are templates that you can get um, uh, or formatting uh, regimes that you, you can get for it that you that will, uh, you know, for example, add the ability to export it into a, a Kindle script or different. They call them styles. Uh, that you can then use to export your writing into, but you don't even have to think about that while you're writing. It, it, you just write, right, and, and add in you know the basic formatting, and it does the rest. So I really like that idea because I, I knew you know I wasn't going to be you know the best at formatting and things, but I thought this would really take care of the basics so and I'd have something that at least looked professional, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So so John and Larry, I, you know, you guys are probably old enough to remember the whole. Uh, word perfect for DOS days? Uh, yeah, a little bit, although it's been so long. Um, I'd have to go back and reacquaint myself. But yeah, I, I, I do remember some of it. And, and remember, we had reveal codes. And so we could uh -huh. we could, we could actually see the, the codes that would be put into a document. And we could you know, see exactly how things were formatted. And so uh -huh. Markdown kind of reminds me of that. Did you ever, did you ever use uh, Word Perfect back in the day, Michael? Yes, I used that in my in grade school. Basically, that was that was what we had a Versa Braille, and yeah, it, yeah, Versa Braille. Wow. And then, yep. and then you went to um, basically Microsoft uh, or WordPerfect five one for ages and ages on uh, yep. DOS. Yep, yep. And, I I, uh, I wrote a piece of shareware called the WordPerfect uh, Braille and Speech Interface Keyboard, and uh, oh, wow. it had a uh, it it was a it was I don't know hundreds and hundreds of lines of macro code that uh, added all kinds of features to make things even more efficient than in WordPerfect back in the day. I, I Googled that the other day and it, it's still around if you, if you uh, look around for it. <laughs> it's kind of, wow. kind of scary that that thing's still floating around there somewhere. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so this kind of just makes me think about, you know, that, that, that we're kind of going full circle from a, yeah. to, you know, from, a, from an accessibility perspective. And, and, this and then you can still do like you know to, when when I got to the point where I finally was happy with or as happy as as I was going to get with with my original full copy, uh, then I I used Pages to basically all I wanted from Pages because Ulysses couldn't do this was generate an interactive table of contents that would let people easily navigate to this big book. Oh, and that, that thankfully was automatically done. Uh, pages can actually do that and make an EPUB file uh, with with a table of interactive contents that you can just use. Hmm. So, so, so Ulysses was, can't uh, do that? Not yet. But, I, you know, Ulysses is just changing again. They've just incorporated that a dashboard, and that has a lot of outlining features. And they're also adding a grammar and spelling ma ma sort of checker extraordinaire that uh, it, I, it sounds very much like your analyzed text uh, option hmm. and uh, I'm very much look, looking forward to when they bring they are going to bring that to iOS it's on the Mac now 
and it will be an iOS, uh, they say later this year. I'm very keen on that. That should be great. And of course, thank God they fixed the spell check. So you, you at least can use your spell check rotor to flick through and find and, and edit spelling mistakes again. So that was a huge, <laughs> huge relief when they finally, of course, it would be after I published the book. But yeah, you know, I'm, I'm still very glad. Of course, that's, yeah. Can, can you talk about the accessibility <laughs> story of Ulysses? Like how how, how um, do you well, feel that, they've been doing that, in, that, in that space? That didn't start out accessible. That was, a. Uh, I listened to the WWDC uh, conventions when I can, all the videos that they let you non-developers see, because I'm not a developer, so, uh, but they have the d- design awards and Ulysses was a, an award-winning app. And very soon after it won it's i think it was 2014 when they uh won that award if i'm not mistaken very soon after that they made it accessible and uh you know it, they did a really good i guess they had an intern working on that and, and i think he's still there if i'm not mistaken uh, the same intern so he's been working on the voiceover aspects of this and they're really they learned from that little glitch that interrupted uh, you know a few months of my desperate attempt to finish the guide back in uh, in September, uh, you know, uh, uh, or of last year, <laughs> you know, October, November, I lost a chunk of that to, uh, uh, to, to these, these glitches, right? So um, they, they were, you know, they'd fix things as quickly as they could, of course, but the, you know, they, there's a lot going on, you're part of a bigger picture. So accessibility is important, but it's not the be all and end all, and they're not going to delay releasing stuff for, uh, you know, for other people improvements that that they've made you know until our problem is fixed right like and that's something that i think is is something to realize you know with the the whole ecosystem if you're doing do stuff in ios have a plan b find different apps different ways of doing things uh because you know you never know when one app might not work they might release an update that really breaks stuff that that either is accessibility related in, in our case sometimes even worse sometimes stuff is broken for a lot of users, you know, sighted users as well. So it's, it's not some conspiracy uh, or anything like that of let's just not deal with blind people's needs. It's oops, right? Oh, we didn't realize that right. this would screw this up and scramble, scramble, fix, fix, right? So uh, it, it's a part of, of the whole, What I wrote a, a very large section actually of my guide is talking about belonging to the iOS ecosystem and what that means. You know, it gives us immense economic leverage that we've never had before. Uh, but it also that comes with re- really getting used to being a part of a lar- much, much larger group of users. You know, if something goes wrong with JAWS, you know, in Windows, you complain to the JAWS people and they'll probably fix it lickety split. Like that's their job, right? It's job access with speech, right? That's what they care about. Uh, you know, uh, same with, with NVDA, they'll, they'll try to address things as quickly as they can. Um, for And their sole responsibility is blind people. But when you go onto the iOS, it's bigger. And you, you have to always be aware. I had Scrivener on standby waiting just in case. And thank goodness, because then I could, ex- I could copy things over, keep working while Ulysses had to get fixed. And then copy things back so I could use Ulysses for publication at the end. Yeah, and, uh, and generating that single document that then went into pages that then became, <laughs> you know, had had the, t- the table of contents added in. Uh, it was it was a, 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 f- a two or three step process. So you know, it, it, as long as you sort of take the time 
and, and have the, the resources, both the, you know, the mental and the, the drive to get something done. Yes, I think it's very possible to produce a professional looking document in you know, using an iPhone. And, and a, you know, if you're going to do serious writing, get yourself a Bluetooth keyboard, please. Yeah, yeah. Do yourself a big favor, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yep. And, and as long as you, you do that, you can, you can, this, this is possible. It's just, do you have the resources to, to go through everything with a fine tooth cone? And I, I, what I ultimately discovered is I bit off more than I could chew too much changed as I was working on it. And it's, that would happen. And then also at the end, I was just so tired of working on this thing. You know, that well, it's, it's a big, just, it's a big project. Yeah. Massive, but it's going to continue yeah. to evolve, isn't it? Because new things well, will happen, other things won't be there anymore. So you'll you'll never get rid yeah. of this, right? Well, this is the thing. I'm taking an arbitrary break from this of about at least two years. This took all of my creative energy for the past three and a half years. I just burned down yeah. doing yeah. this. So you know what? If if you make it a nine to five job and you pay me an honest living, sure. You know, I will absolutely keep something like this up to date. I, you know, I'm happy to do it. But, you know, the chance of having a career like that, even if you add in helping people over the phone or something like that with tech problems, it's pretty slim. So, you know, barring that, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try and get something else done creatively before I turn 50. <laughs> you know, I'm 45 now. So I feel the clock ticking. But, you know, in a couple of years, you know, when they come up with iOS 16, I will probably take another look at this because I do feel bad leaving it at iOS 13. It was a horrible place to stop in so many ways. iOS 14, a lot of my gripes are going to disappear because they've, uh, from what I've heard, and, and targeting stuff out of beta testers who are under NDAs, <laughs> what I hear is it's, it's a lot of the stuff that is, is, is has been a, a real major issues for us has gone away so you know a couple of years down the road i think we're going to be in a much better place and i'll be able to come back at this fresh and take eight months or so do an update you know over that you know a chunk of, of year and get something out there that's hopefully a lot less shambly um, <laughs> than what i i let loose originally now n since i published this actually just recently over the past week or so the two gentlemen, uh, well, two people, Curtis Delser, uh, the gentleman I was thinking of, sure. did the, uh, the Daisy. He did the Daisy copy of it. And uh, that that is awesome. He did. Uh, he went through it with a fine tooth comb and caught some errors and stuff and made the correction so it sounds sensible, right? And it's all audio. So if people need it on their Victors, if people want to read this on other devices, they can do that. With He's done three different, he's done an MP3 collection. Uh, and then he's done two different Daisy formats that are all up there on the, on the blog. So uh, if people want that, they can have those. And another person, Gene Menzies, did a Braille incarnation of my guide and plus did an amazing kind of light editing job of really going through cleaning up all the sort of misspellings, typos, stuff like that. So it made a lot more sense, of course, in Braille. But, of course, she gave me the Word file that she used to generate that. So... Uh, I could go and, you know, release that as well. And now we have a much more readable guide. And thank God for that. I was at the end of my rope. I could not have edited. I, I could have spent till doomsday trying to edit this to perfection myself. You know, it was, it was so long. Yeah. So he has, has done a, a wonderful job. And, and now Applevis has also updated their, their uh, file as well. So if you go to applevis.com, you can find it there. 
the, the personal power. It's in it's in uh, the guides that they have in their sec in the section of their site devoted to guides and tutorials. That's great. So it, it's uh, you can go from that. You can that'll take you to the the blog, which has the Dropbox uh, folder that I, I put up there with all the different uh, you know versions of it on uh, ready to go you can just download them it's free for everybody and you know i've said if organizations want to produce it and i I can't imagine it as a a physical braille document but you know if you want to knock yourself out (laughs) you know and you know as long as it's produced at cost and no one's making a profit out of something i've given away for free i'm completely happy with with organizations you know making it available on physical discs or whatever right if it can help get to more people who need it i'm not going to stand in the way of that yeah well, should we uh, open it up for raised hands? Sure. All right, we have one, I see. Yep, Mika, are you with us? A couple here. Oh. There she yeah. is. I'm with you. Oh, good. Hello. <laughs> I was muted like a good Zoom participant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our first question is going to be, Abraham, you are allowed to talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just taking me a minute. Hey, guys. Hello. Uh, so, Michael, you mentioned accessories. Um, can you recommend uh, the type of Bluetooth keyboard that you use, or a, a very good one? Ah, uh, the quest for a keyboard. Yes, epic poetry could be written about this. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's uh, one of those things that I've heard that I've heard from so many friends and family. You've got another keyboard, <laughs> you know. Because it it looks like there's greener grass over every hill, even if you're blind. If it's if it's a keyboard you're chasing, yeah, especially have, one that works multi-device, which is what I'm looking for. Yeah, you've got a couple of really good options here. I'm 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 like mechanical keyboards, and there's a cheap brand called Keymove that actually will uh, report uh, the the key. Um, the battery level to your iOS device widget. So you can actually see how much battery it has. They have a number of different keyboards, so you can pick whichever one suits you. And then you can also pick the kind of switches that you want. Uh, They usually have three. I think they're still red, uh, blue, and brown. Uh, Those colors actually have meanings, tactile meanings with those switch types. So yeah, there's that route. There's also Logitech. Uh, they've had some great keyboards. The K480. I've seen a lot of recommendations for that. Uh, they. I got a, a K780, uh, and I quite like the the feel of it. It's a bit bigger, so if you're thinking it's it's like a full size keyboard. So that's the other side of this too. Uh, you know, because you have an iPhone as your core, the accessories you get, you you don't have to upgrade them when you get your new phone unless they're cases. So you choose whatever keyboard suits you best, right? And you, there's so much choice out there. And most of them can be workable. Now, there is lag to worry about. Um, Logitech, I didn't have much tr- lag with the Logitech one or the, Dier- the uh, Keymove keyboards. Very Almost no lag whatsoever with that. I have an older, uh, uh, I think it was a Canon keyboard that does have, unfortunately, some lag. There's a really great, probably hard to find one from Microsoft, Microsoft Universal uh, mobile keyboard that that has, uh, th- that was, uh, it's, it's a nice little keyboard. Some of them can be kind of compact, um, but there's there's a lot of choice out there. So if you can feel them ahead of time, that's ideal. But of course, uh, what 
what I recommend to people is read the reviews and listen to YouTube videos to get a sense. You, you, they won't describe everything, but you know, you'll get be able to get a sense of what it sounds like when it's used. And the, the reviews usually will end up covering. If you just do, you know, read four or five reviews on a keyboard that you're interested in, you'll, you'll walk away with a, a pretty good picture of, of how to do stuff with them and how they're going to work as good as you can do without actually checking it out before you buy. So for accessories, that, that kind of process goes for pretty much everything uh, from headphones to, you know, all the other things you might want. Bluetooth speaker uh, is another popular one. Um, there's lots and lots of different accessories that you can get. And, uh, you know, and that can mean that you, you've got a little bag of maybe, you know, three or four pounds of accessories plus a, a battery. You can get batteries too. Like, like the, uh, I have an Energrid one that's accessible. And that thing could keep everything going. It's got like 15,000 MA. You could you could go all week with that if you had to. You know, you could charge your phone probably six or seven times with that. Um, and it's not heavy. Like it's it's a bit heavy in a pocket, but in a bag, you, you hardly feel it. So there's, you know, there's all sorts of choice out there. Okay. Um, our next question is from Tanya. Tanya, you should be allowed to talk. Hi, um, my name is Tanya Tete, and I'm an author. Um, my book is on Amazon.com, but I'm legally blind, and I have a lot of blind friends, and I'd like to get my book um, published on audio and Braille, but I don't know what steps to take. Yeah, and I've... Uh, you know, I've done my book on on absolutely like I don't have any connections in terms of that. So, thankfully, these volunteers came forward and were able to help me get it into electronic Braille and Daisy. I hadn't, I to this day have no idea how I could have done that. Uh, especially keeping to my basic philosophy with with this project was keeping it on iOS. Right, I didn't want to have to take it onto a PC. Uh, you know, I wanted to, to do everything on iOS if if possible. So it was a proof of concept, right? It was proof that you could do a book on iOS, right? Is is what I was after, and I, I, I've achieved that. I think I, I think it, it's come out. Yeah, absolutely. In, in its original form, it was it, it it proved that you know if you have enough skill and will and stuff, you can do a book. You <laughs> know, it's possible. So yeah, I would. I would check with, you know, what about organization? Like it depends on that you might be after money. I'm one of the advantages of releasing things for free is that it, you can just put it out there and spread word about it and, and people will come forward and, and want to help. Right. Uh, I, I don't have the money to pay for, for what they, what they ended up doing for me. I, I, I looked into doing a Kickstarter uh, at one point to raise the funds to then pay for a, uh, one of these pr uh, self-publishing presses to edit and publish the, you know, back when I started, but I quickly, you know, realized, you know, there's rules around having money in your possession if you're on uh, social assistance. So you got to be very careful about that. And you, you also are then like, uh, you know, there's, there's that running the campaign while you're trying to work on the big project. And I, I just didn't have it in me to do both things at once. So from, from a, a non-income place, it's hard to sort of do what you'd need to do to really get, you know, the professional editing, the have a, a press behind you that would publish. Now, I would 
you know, you might want to approach National Braille Press. Uh, you know, they um, they seem like like the kind that would you know, they'd be able to at least do that for you. Get it into those different formats. Uh, Kindle too. You you can use uh, first of all, of course, the Kindle app is very accessible, uh, but also Kindles now and the tablets that Amazon have, they've built accessibility into those. So blind people could use those things to read your book. If they have them already, uh, you, you might want to tell them uh, that they can they can do that, uh, depending on how old they are. You know, that, that I think Amazon, uh, that it's a bit more of a recent development uh, with their stuff, I think, than it, than it was for iOS. Like, um, But it's, it's probably, you might have more of a, a more blind people able to read than you expect, it, it, you know, since it is out on Amazon, uh, if they just know that it is, and that they can they can get it with their, uh, you know, with their tablets or phones. Uh, now that Amazon's made the apps accessible, uh, that's probably going to be your biggest bang for buck. And you know, even on the computer, uh, it's much better than it was now. It used to be horrendous on the computer, but even that's improved. Um, you know, with NVDA and 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 Jaws. So yeah, uh, it's it's a different world now. We're, these eBooks are a lot more accessible than you know than they were for for ages and ages before. Tanya, okay, I hope we've answered your questions. All right, uh, your area code is eight four five. You'll need to unmute with star six. Last three of your numbers, nine one eight. So if you could please unmute yourself with star six. Oh, I thought I was unmuted. I'm talking away. This is Cheryl. Thank you. Thanks, Mika. Uh, thank you for sharing with us tonight. Um, I'm going to have to rush off the call when I'm done. So I'm sorry because I'm facilitating a call. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, is Ulysses an app? Is that what you were saying? Yes, yes. Ulysses okay. is uh, an app for writers, and okay. uh, there are other options too. You can use Pages, yeah. uh, that's free from Apple. You can use Scrivener. There are lots of different writing tools, IA Writer, yeah. lots of different choices. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm just trying Grammarly, and uh, yeah, it's accessible it uh... pretty good, but it's, uh, I'm not real thrilled with this. So, no, um, I thank you. Either. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, there was one other, oh man, I forget, but I did want to say to you, good thing you did not use one of those self-publishing companies because don't, 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 unless people want to go to Amazon. So that's just my two cents um, because <laughs> I've published several books. So thank you. I look forward to reading your book and I, I uh, will list, re-listen to this again so so I absorb it even more. So thank you. And that's it. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, and that was all of the hands that were up. All right, so if anyone else has any questions, you can raise your hand, and uh, we'll call on you again. John or Larry, so, you got something? M Michael, I, I realize you're going to take a two-year hiatus. I realize that. But have you thought about what you would like to do from a book perspective in the future if you had the chance? Well, um, the next project I'm going to look at is, is more of a role-playing game. And as part of that, I'll be looking at maybe uh, trying the NaNoWriMo to, to do a novel in, in, in a month to try and get a central story going 
see how how willing my ideas are to generate that. Um, I do. I've always wanted to do a short story collection. Uh, that's that's one of my my big dreams. And the other is this big sort of role playing game that uh, I, I think should be possible to do. Uh, at least write the books for uh, the the campaign uh, books. So th- those are my two larger dreams at the moment. Um, and we'll see how that all pans out. Uh, and uh, I will come back to this guide, you know, in, in a while, you know, when I'm, when I'm less burnt out on it and, and do a, a sort of a more of an update. And hopefully the volunteers will still be there to, uh, <laughs> to get it into to better shape even and, and get it to Daisy and Braille, hopefully with a lot less effort required. Uh, I've learned a lot through this process. Uh, in terms of of having that plan B of of keeping better track of organization of of you know not taking the chances I I had a number of disasters that cost me you know months of work you know as I was going through this trying different apps out you know finding out what worked uh, you know there's one really big one that that cost me like three or four months of work because uh, I deleted a folder that I shouldn't have. And uh, that could have cost me the whole thing, but thankfully uh, it was backed up and I, I figured out how to recover that. But that was a scary night. Um, so it's, I've learned a lot. I, I'd probably, it would not take quite as long to do what I did if I started now. Um, but that's partially because a lot of the accessibility changes we've seen uh, have really kicked in. So that it, it's, it's like quicksand. It's like running on a treadmill and sure. stuff will keep changing as you do more. And then you have to go back and rejig stuff. What kind of a backup process did you use with the iPhone? Well, I, you know, everything is backed up automatically in iCloud. And, uh, you know, so that, that actually worked really well, pretty consistently. Mm-hmm. The other thing, of course, is Ulysses has its own separate kind of backups that it takes. Uh, and it granular, you can sort of get at that in a more granular approach. So you don't have to think about it's backing it up every uh, so often. And it has a whole structure of that that you can just go into this, this backup section and find, you know, the day, the date, the file, you know, the, the file that you need and the date that you, that you want to restore from and get at those files. So Ulysses has really makes good use of the cloud. And, uh, you know, everything, uh, the only reason that I had that, that huge disaster that nearly cost me the whole thing was I deleted a, a folder that I really, in hindsight, I didn't think I needed it because it said it was a, a classic folder. And I, I mistook that. I didn't realize that as a, a migrant to the new Ulysses, it was still using the Ulysses classic directory to store my stuff. So if I realized that, <laughs> I I probably could have shaved, you know, maybe eight months off off the process. This thing really, you know, cost me a lot uh, of work. Does the Does um, the iOS so, have an undo feature like like uh, Windows does? I don't recall ever seeing it. It's more um, apps have that, and you can back up to the cloud uh-huh. and restore from from those back. And you can keep more than one backup, right? So you can you can set you know, how many, how much space you want to use for backups and things like that. And, you know, there's ways to, you know, to make a backup of, of the state. Now you're backing up your whole iPhone. Uh, Now other apps will also back up to 
uh, iCloud as well and make use of iCloud to store stuff. And nothing stops you from copying those files to other folders. So there's there's lots of ways you can put iCloud space to use. You can also use other services, Dropbox uh, being, being, I guess, the most popular alternative. Um, and OneDrive and Google Drive, all of those are accessible too if you, if you have them. And uh, you, now that Apple has really opened up the Files app, and you can really do more of the move, copy, and paste, and 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 move things around. Uh, it's it's even more flexible and more open. So, yeah, I could have done a much more thorough, foolproof backup now um, that than I could then. A lot has gotten much much better. Apple is is on this journey of from being very closed off from proprietary, uh, proprietary to open and more willing to let users do more with files, with all sorts of different areas. Uh, and that's resulted in, in increasing capabilities uh, for not only users, but app developers. So for example, GPS apps have, have been really able to tap into more as time has gone on. And of course the, the reading example, right? With the print, um, so we've seen that in, in a lot of different ways as they've given more control uh, that that's allowed app developers and, and to develop apps for blind people or apps for everyone that can just tap into more things and give more options. Excellent. Well, it's fascinating to hear because I don't know as much about the phone. I, I know a lot about the phone, but not like I would from a Windows perspective. So I was, that's why I'm fascinated by how you do what you do in terms of publish, not publishing, but creating stuff on the phone and and making it work and it sounds like it worked very well for you for the most part yeah it, it, yeah. it is uh i had to learn a lot and and uh, react to uh to not knowing what i wish i knew <laughs> uh -huh. in a hurry but <clears throat> as long as you have a good second alternative uh then you're, you're in pretty good shape you're not going to lose everything so it's it's a matter of really it's better habits you know, if I had, if I knew what I knew now, I would have instituted a lot of, of better habits to back stuff up, to make sure that I transferred stuff more systematically so that nothing got lost. Um, you know, there are a few glaring spots in there that uh, have my prep notes uh, that should have been turned into sections of, of material rather than just the question and answers for the hosts. There's a couple of items in that book uh, that have been, unfortunately, you, you, what got published was the uh, those sections rather than the finished, you know, the notes rather than the finished sections. So there's a couple of, of major things like that that I missed that I, I won't again. Like I, these are things that I can avoid now that I know they can occur <laughs> as, as I, I really had thought I had avoided a lot of these things. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's a learning thing. Uh, as you go, and uh, you know, I, I can do a much better job, I think, with with whatever I end up doing next. I think and, I think we have ahead, one Jeff. more uh, raised hand. I think we might have time to take. Uh, yes, it is for Anne, and Anne, you are allowed to talk. Okay, so. Um, I was wondering, I know you've done this guide, but for your first book, did you have help formatting that for, um, like, to publish with Apple Books, Amazon? And no. <laughs> no, I uh, I tried, actually, to publish it as an Apple book, 
but it wouldn't let me. Uh, for some reason, the pages system of publishing directly from pages didn't work. And I've tried through iTunes Connect, and that didn't hasn't worked either yet. So I'm kind of waiting for iOS 14, and I'll take another crack at that then, I think, uh, see if maybe I can get that to be up there. Although I, I really, it, there's less of a need. It's really spread nicely to, uh, you know, people can get it from my Dropbox folder in my blog, and it's free anyway. So, you know, I, I, there's less of a need. People seem to be able to grab it and share it and post it in different places. So that's, that's now, if I were doing something for money, uh, you'd want to, do things in a more systematic way, like the way things are now, that there's slight differences between the Daisy version, the Braille version, and the original ones that I published, right? Because you know the, the people went through and edited them and things. So, you know, there's it's it's messier than you'd get if you went if you did like a proper publishing process, you know, with with maybe a team of people uh, responsible for for something like this. Well, Michael, this has been awesome. How can people find your book and your blog? Well, uh, you can go to Michael Fair at blogspot.com and the very first entry you'll find is Further Developments to Personal Power and that will take you uh, to the update uh, to the Dropbox folder. Uh, you can also go through the AppleVis route, applevis.com, A-P-P-L-E, V is in Frank, uh, v is in Victor, is.com and you can find uh, they have the first sort of part of personal power the ios edition out on their site and then they have a link to the, the files right to, to go directly to the some of the files so there's a few different ways uh to get to it even just googling me uh will probably get you there pretty quick. yeah that's that's what i did and spell spell your last name because it's a little yeah. unconventional yeah exactly it, it's yeah it's F as in Frank, E-I-R. It's it's apparently Germanic in origin, but but corrupted because, of course, our family moved over to Ireland and no one could figure out uh, <laughs> how it was supposed to be spelled. So, yeah, uh, so saith Google <laughs> after some torture. Awesome. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, uh, so that that is, if, if you go to, and if you want to contact me, uh, you can always email michael.fair at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter as mfair, so uh, those are probably your best bets at uh, at reaching me. And I'm happy if people are having trouble. I'm happy to send copies of, of the guide uh, to whoever needs, uh, you know, or links so that you can you can get to the Dropbox folder and get it. That's so great. I'm happy to do that for people. That's great. Thank you, Michael, John, and Larry. It's been awesome. Thank you, David. Yeah, David, wonderful. They, yeah, David lot, uh, dropped off. I think so. Yeah. And uh, Mika, thank you so so much for uh, all of your nice. wonderful talent and and uh, helping everybody get into the get into the meeting and everything. And we'll and be Jeff, back. Dave, in, David, thank has, you as well, David. For I'm sure he's still hanging. Jeff, how can people uh, request uh, up and coming guests or people they might like to see on Main Menu? Yeah, they can do that by emailing mainmenu at acbradio.org. That's mainmenu at acbradio.org. They can also uh, tweet at the Main Menu account. That's at main menu on Twitter and uh, we'll pick all that up and you know send us your ideas we'd love to hear them all right guys we'll see everybody next month and uh, we'll have more to report soon have a good night Great. everybody good night